thousand years ago, the podcast was green and good. And then, the boys started smoking crystal and crack. And now, it's the dark podcast. I'm Matisse Van Rossum. That's you really stole good. my bit. Oh man, I was totally gonna do that. Oh, my man. name's the one that starts with an M, you bitch. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'm Ben Sheets. I don't quite have a good intro anymore. Uh, I I have also been robbed of an intro. Uh, my name is Cleveland Mosier. How's it going, y'all? We're back, and you know something, boys, kids, they're scared of everything. You know why? Because they're fucking babies. And their tiny hands can't punch scary things like my strong masculine adult hands can. Look at those hands. Look at those right, big old masculine man hands. And You if, can't see them, but I'm vouching. If anything scary were to come my way, I would just say, nah, fuck you. And I would punch it with my aforementioned, enormous, strong adult hands. That's why I wear Hulk hands at all times. Exactly. Uh, because the bigger your hands are, the less scary the world is. And uh, kids have, uh, fun fact, kids have, on average, statistically, some of the smallest hands in the world. That's just science. Yeah. So we're talking about children's horror today. And before we get into our main subject, just want to go around and ask you boys what were uh, some of the movies and TV shows, or I guess just media in general, that scared you when you were a child? Well, uh, there's a couple movies that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Two of the main ones were uh, Monster House, oddly enough. Oh, nice. I never saw that movie. Um, I thought the... The CG in that movie was so uncanny valley and horrifying that just freaked me out. And oddly enough, uh, the other one would be a Son of the Mask. Also, <laughs> really? Also because I found the CG horrifying. And in fairness, that CG is pretty disgusting and horrifying. It hasn't aged well. Oh yeah, no, not at all. Both, both valid answers. Um... For me, uh, I was raised pretty uniquely, and uh, I was grateful for it. Uh, my my dad uh, liked showing me like old old classics growing up, so he started me like like silent era and like er- and then going up through the forties and fifties, uh, and I, I made my way into to modern films uh, off of that. And he figured it was it was time for me to watch King the original King Kong when I was maybe six or seven. And it scared the living hell out of me. And I, I still remember, like, being just so frightened as a child of the the shot, like, of, of King Kong's face. Like, the close-up with its mouth moving. The thing filled a studio, too. It was really cool. But, uh, yeah, that inspired me, uh, I think, later on. Uh, I, like, I like big old spooky faces and stuff, so definitely had a positive impact. And then the other one I'll mention is I was way too young when I watched Princess Mononoke the first time. Very glad for it. It had that that film had an incredible impact on me. There's some I can definitely see some stuff in that movie that would be really scary to a child. Oh yeah. yeah. Um I mean even like Miyazaki I think expressed uh an amount of regret for how violent the film is, uh which which I I find to be relatively interesting. Or at the very least he said it would be the most violent film he ever made. Um, and so far that, that's been the case. There's some darker subject matter ones, but Mononoke is the most viscerally violent for sure. I mean, it's like firing his arrow and, you know, shooting people's arms off and stuff. It's pretty that's rad. True. Yeah, it is. It's pretty bloody as well. I forgot about that. It's yeah, it is. It's quite bloody. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's pretty violent. Film. Um, what were yours? 
Um, I had some very strangely specific ones. For instance, I remember being really terrified of the uh, Heffalumps and Woozles oh, song same. in the Winnie the Pooh movie. Oh, they scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> I, I would hmm. a lot as a kid when I was like sick and I would have like a high fever or something, I would have like fever dreams uh <laughs> that were just that were kind of like that the that heffalumps and woozles sequence oh, where there's just like uh weird like anthropomorphic colorful monsters like marching through a black void dude and uh yes. that that shit uh i love that movie i watch it tons of times oh yeah but same. the uh but the heffalumps and woozles part always freaked me out uh which was thinking back on it Particularly a strange thing to be scared of. Um, some of the other things, uh, the show Dinosaurs. Oh, um, yeah. The, the costumes, like the weird human dinosaur hybrid oh, yeah. thing doing like, like regular human things yeah that's fucked up man but they all they had like fucked up but they had like those big bug eyes and just like enormous mouths with like human teeth and that shit freaked me the fuck out as a kid and i also remember uh going to the movie theater to see i think i robot and they played a, a, a preview for the first Alien vs. Predator movie, and it gave me nightmares for weeks. I could see that. That movie at and the time. It was before, obviously, yeah. obviously it was before I, I had seen any of the Alien franchise, so I only knew, like, what people had told me, and that trailer scared the shit out of me, and that one's really funny to look back on, because that <laughs> yeah. movie fucking sucks. What I will say is that Alien vs. Predator Requiem still gives me nightmares, but not for any of the content in it. <laughs> but, yeah, kids kids get scared by really weird things, uh, and it's weird how shit like that goes on to affect you as an adult, even if you're not scared of it anymore, like I feel like if I watched Winnie the Pooh now, when that Heffalumps and Woozles shit hit, I feel like I would still have some sort of like visceral panic reaction, like way back in the corner of my lizard brain. <laughs> Today we're talking about your pick, uh, a film yes. that I watched dozens and dozens and dozens of times as a child. My mom made me an illegal copy of the VHS from uh, Blockbuster, and it is a film that many parts of it did scare the shit out of me as a child, but I became so obsessed with it that I just wanted to watch it over and over. Uh, that film is The Dark Crystal. Jim Henson's 1982, some might say magnum opus in terms of his puppetry. I think there are arguments for and against that idea. It's definitely his most ambitious, I, I would say, up there as one of the most ambitious things he's done. Yeah, I'd be I'd be curious to compare like that with The Labyrinth as yeah. well, for sure. I'm almost certain The Labyrinth had a larger budget. Um, I think there would be, there would be strong arguments for both. Uh, the Dark Crystal is probably my favorite Jim Henson film, just because I did see it so many times as, as a child, way more than I ever saw The Labyrinth or any of the Muppets movies or anything like that. The Dark Crystal is probably one of the earliest film memories that I have. 
just in general. Yeah. So, Cleve, uh, since it's your pick, I'll, I'll hand it off to you, and I'll let you talk a little bit about the Dark Crystal and why you chose it. Yes. So, um, uh, the primary reason being that Netflix is putting out their Dark Crystal series uh, yes. within the coming months. They just released a teaser trailer for it. Uh, and I'm pretty hyped. About two weeks ago at the time of this recording, I think. A week and a half. Give or take. It looks quite fun. So we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, um, we can talk about that at the end. Sure. Yes. Uh, the Dark Crystal is a fairly uh, simplistic narrative. I would say it's it's more geared for... It's geared around the large set pieces. I would say it's it's pretty bread and butter high fantasy narrative. Oh, yeah. Yeah, about as... About as um... There are good guys. There are bad guys. Bad apocalypse thing coming uh unlikely hero must fulfill prophecy and defeat bad guys yep there you go i mean and honestly you know you just give them names and you you have the core plot line there was some sort of schism in the past the evil skexies have control of the dark crystal and in accordance with the prophecy uh there will be an astral alignment that will grant them uh through conjunction of the dark crystal uh, eternal life so they're yeah. they're really pushing for that, and the rest of the realm is not so keen on that. And it was one of the parts of the prophecy is that a Gelfling, which are the sort of the human equivalent in this story, uh, or human elf hybrid creature thing, we'll definitely be unpacking that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they were prophesied to be their downfall, so they basically had Gelf- a little Gelfling genocide. Um, and there's only one Gelfling presumedly left alive. Which is, right off the bat, extremely right? dark for Holy a children's yeah. movie. Basically, like, Gelfling Holocaust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, also, it seems the Netflix series is a prequel about that, and I'm totally Which makes me, we more, me more keen for it as well. Yeah, same. Yeah. It's like, let's, let's see it happen. <laughs> Good lord, let's, let's watch a puppet genocide. I'm, uh, sign me up, please. Uh, I'm not pro-genocide, I'm not even pro-puppet genocide, but let's see it. Let's Let's see it. Let's let's, let's, let it come out. (laughs) Let's let's see it. (laughs) So, I think from there, honestly, we can just, we can just unpack it, like, scene for scene. Okay. Um, and, you know, based around spectacle. Uh, Sure. Is there anything else? One thing I want to go into a little bit, uh, it's my only major part of criticism for this movie, because I know you guys have a lot of... Oh, I've got several uh, childhood yeah. stuff connected yeah, sure. to this, and I, mean, this, this... I after watching it, I realized that I actually haven't seen this movie before. All of my recollections of what I thought this was were connected to Labyrinth and Return to Oz. Actually, interesting. Um, oh, because, I can see. Yeah. Well, Return yeah. to Oz is a lot of the same puppetry designers and all that. No, no shit. Um, yeah, because it's Henson. Oh, I'm I'm thinking of a different Oz related thing. I'd have to. You're probably There's thinking so of the Wiz or something. Yeah, some other bullshit. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't have that childhood baggage connected to it. And the the biggest thing I had a problem with this movie was you mentioned it was a very bread and butter story. Yes, and that's very true. To me, I kind of found the story really bland. I mean, and, and boring. I don't think I don't think you're wrong. I, I think this is the perfect time to emphasize that this is a movie for children. Yes. yes. And yes. and viewing it through the adult lens 
and taking it in for what it is with our point of reference for the hundreds, if not thousands of movies we've all seen in our lifetime. Like, yeah, it's a kid's movie. The story is really easy, so young children can I, digest it. I, and I, it does and it does sort of like as an adult watching it with, you know, being sort of naturally tuned for a little bit more complexity and nuance and narrative. It, it, it is kind of just like, okay, it's, from a story standpoint, uh, this is not really why I'm here. And in a way, I, I almost wish there was some more emotional weight to the story itself, rather than the events of the story are very charged. But yeah. the, the core story with the Gelfling and what... I kind of agree. I didn't find my, in in this watch, my first watch of this film as an adult, I didn't even really particularly feel anything for any of the characters. Yeah, exactly. And more of, more of what, more of what, what I was so fixated on was the, the technical and visual aspects. And from, from that perspective, I think the film is a complete masterpiece. Oh, absolutely. And, And I think there's, and I think there's enough of that, that, I wasn't bored watching the movie. I think the narrative is a little bit boring because it is so plain and simple, but there's su- it's such a like a continuous feast for the eyes. That's enough to entertain me in this case. I, I will think. I will make a, a, a point of defense for it, though I do agree. I, I, it's definitely not a not a complete argument, but it, it's a I think it's a point worth bringing up. and that is that uh, especially early on, it's actually probably how I should have led with uh, my description of this film, that there are no human actors in this movie. It is exclusively puppets. Right. Considering that, considering, uh, when did you say it was made? 80... 82. 82, yeah. Um, so coming out of the 70s, um, uh, to justify a an, an entirely alien, like, handcrafted environment that is so obscure and so strange with all these, like, weird little critters and mechanisms that all seem to have their place in that surprisingly like complex world building. The world itself, this which is included in the sets and the puppetry mastery we're talking about, is fairly nuanced and, and depthy. It is it's exclusively the the plot line itself that remains, right. you know, flat. And what are are I shouldn't say flat, but they're really like simplistic. And I think it's pretty flat. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think that's an incorrect description yeah, of the yeah. of the plot. No, it's true. And like, I think that plot line could be done in a way that's not flat. I think that it's not necessarily its simplicity that makes it problematic. I think it's more the the approach with like charging the characters. Well, yeah, and, and I think alliance. honestly, it was just a little shocking to me because I I'm so used to very emotionally driven Jim Henson works. Oh yeah, he's the king you know? of it, and almost and all of their to contacts. See, sure. The exact opposite with this kind of took me by surprise. And that was the biggest criticism I had of this movie. Um, I wanted to mention it early because I know we're we're, we're just going to be gushing about all the technical elements. Oh, no, I think it's the right call. Technically, it's, it's this a, movie... It's a fair criticism that, I've, that I largely agree with. Same. I think I think having the added childhood nostalgia makes it more forgivable for me, but coming from somebody who doesn't have that i think it is 100 percent a fair criticism and i i i think you're you're mostly right about it no i do too i think um in a lot of ways it's also like baby's first high fantasy you oh, know for sure. it was mm-hmm. it was probably my first exposure to high fantasy either that 
or uh, the the cartoon Hobbit and Lord yeah, of the Rings yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. It was it was either down, this down to Dublin Town. It was either this or <laughs> or one of those films. I can't remember which, but you know, it's like it's a child's introduction to high fantasy, and I think in that respect, it does a pretty good job. Because the world does feel believable and lived in. Even if the, the, the narrative events might not be particularly interesting, for a world populated completely by, uh, by puppets, by lifeless objects, it feels very lived in. Richly so. Yeah. 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 Uh, abundant, even. I, I largely agree. Like the the plot points, uh, especially like having a, a just an ambiguous prophecy, you know, hanging over their heads. It's it's always a huge concern from my perspective. Uh, having yeah. like riffed on that a lot in castle battles, you know, and like <laughs> my own find work. find the lost crystal, the crystal shard, heal the dark crystal, make everything okay. Exactly. Tell you what, while we're we're unpacking our our, our concerns with it, because I, I think I think it's not a bad idea. Let's unpack a few more. I've I've got okay. my own as well, and they are pretty apparent immediately in the film and that is actually the design of the gelflings i'm, I'm even as a I child i yeah. actually yeah didn't enjoy them very much uh, they, and that is carried on into my adulthood they're oddly very dated they feel very late 70s early 80s they feel they also feel the most like puppets out of everything in the right. movie they feel they feel they the, the most facetime that's they feel the yeah. most they feel the most lifeless and for the protagonists of the film that is a problem you know what's fascinating too about them is uh in the the making of documentary about this film, the person who is who is charged with making the puppet, so I think was someone's someone's. Uh, anyway, the point is is that she uh, she submitted dozens of iterations of the Gelflings to to Jim Henson and and Brian Froud. This is and the one they chose. I know. I can't yeah, imagine that's the weird. others. Like, oh god, dude! No, the other iterations looked more animalistic and like hit the a much better spot oh. in the Uncanny Valley. Like I, they showed some of the other ones. I was like, why didn't you do you know, that? You know what I would I say? Wish they'd look like puppies instead of humans. I would say either that or the opposite. And just have the Gelflings be be played by like children, right? So, and and do do the labyrinth thing, and have the Gelflings be yeah, just bring back Jennifer Connelly because because Get what some crystal contact balls? Be, yeah. Because like one of my biggest things is like the Gelflings look so dead in comparison to everything else that even as a child. Something in my brain subconsciously noticed when there's the wide shots and it's uh, the Gelflings are like when there's one climbing or something, it's obviously like a child in a costume and they just have the shot at a distance so they can get naturalistic movement. And I don't think that as a child I was able to like make that distinction like, oh, it's the difference between a puppet and a real actor, but like it always like clicked something that's like there's something off about this to me and i really noticed it now as an adult watching it and i could put words to it you know when you actually see these things like moving like a person is supposed to it's jarring yeah well it's they're they're a pretty a a pretty fantastic uh example of um uncanny valley like i think i think that they're just they're not human enough they're not doll enough and it just 
hits a weird middle ground. I think if they had bigger eyes, have been a little more puppy dog like or whatever, like it would have been fine. Yeah, I, but yeah, that that or or they just been more human and go go one go one way or or the other. Yeah, I think yeah. I read somewhere that originally they were supposed to be blue. That would have helped too. That probably would have helped. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think the 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 brownish fleshy yeah i think i think the faces i think the faces still would have bothered me if they were oh blue, yeah yeah but there might have that might have been enough of a degree of separation farther that it wasn't quite as bad i think it's really just like perfectly in in that valley i think it would have just, like, just acted slightly out of the yeah MK go go yeah. go in a little bit in either direction and it's already gonna help yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, so yeah. i i agree with you there i um what my issue is when i first watched it uh michael jackson post-op was like really heavily like influenced in the news and brought up a bunch and i i can't get the comparative between them and like oh michael interesting jackson i didn't have that head. at all but oh, i can totally yeah. see I it so see that right and oh it, it's God. it's always been a problem for me and it's my only problem with this otherwise near perfect film Gel- gelflings are a little problematic i also but they're as, the only creature I, that, that i, have I also as a I child all the others to a lesser degree but as a child i found the podlings pretty creepy too which is weird because they're supposed to be like the like the good fun like cute characters but something about them having these like almost featureless like baby faces but all like they're, yeah, they're like all... peas in a pod yeah, but they're all like wrinkled, like Flesh old, peas, like old know? people, <laughs> like that they have these these like perfectly round faces with no nose or ears or teeth or anything, but they have like skin wrinkles. You don't, you I don't find, like Asian ambiguous flesh vegetables, teeth. I find it a little unsettling. <laughs> I, as much as I'm I'm calling them like flesh vegetables, I I think they're really cute actually. Like despite that, I didn't uh, mind them. I think they're I, they're, I like they're, the they're okay. They're okay. Uh, it doesn't help that like a big part of the film is that like the Skeksis enslave the podlings and like drain their life essence and then they just then they look particularly horrifying yeah uh it's it's great it's it's spooky but i think that you know and we see the enslaved podlings uh, pretty early on in the movie before we get to the podling village later Mm -hmm. so maybe as a child i couldn't separate the two i love i do love that you see the them as slaves before you see them as free so that you kind of learn that they're not just henchmen. That's a right, yeah, a better mech way, to, better way to do it for sure. Uh, creatures I do absolutely love are the sages. Um, oh, the mystics, the mystics. The mystics. Thank mystics. you. Yeah, hell God. yeah, dog. What an yeah. awesome, what an awesome. They're like a hippie design. acapella choir, man. Oh, oh that's what I should have done my opener. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it! Dang it! Yeah, that would have been perfect. Just gonna oh, um, yeah, they're rad as hell, and I want to go they're, live with them. They're a pretty cool design. I. I find them a little bit creepy, too, or I did as a child, but in a much more benevolent way, because they are, like, genuinely, like, good, peaceful characters. Like, they establish that from early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are also, they're also, like, beasts, but that have very weird, particularly human aspects, like very human hair and very human hands, hands yeah. uh, <laughs> but like long horse faces. And uh, it's just that there's there's a lot of that blend between like human and animal in this movie that is, I find unsettling, but in in a way that I like. Yeah, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm super keyed. Like this, this film has given me a lot of good, great ideas for some of like the upcoming like characters who are going to be designed and it stares back like i want to yeah. do some like weird 
things that shouldn't have people hands and stuff. Like, it's going to yeah. be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, like, there's a lot of... I know we talked about the not-so-great creature designs, but there's some really great creature designs in this as well. Like, I mean, I love the, great. I, I love, love the Skeksis like, yeah. creature design. They're amazing. The Skeksis are probably my favorite. Yeah, I like. I love the Garthams. The the Gartham are dope. The the Gartham scared the shit out of me as a kid, oh, too. So cool. Like that, they're... the part where, uh, towards the end, where, like, Jin falls into the pit, and he, like, hears the, the like, skittering, and then he sees all of the eyes in the the darkness i thought so that was good. so spooky Dude, that holds up so well too like all of their glowing eyes in the darkness and like looks when the great. and like when the gartham like come to the podling village and just start like smashing through the walls like i always found that really horrifying yeah and like awesome. throwing the podlings into like bags and stuff so really cool fact about the creature design in this film um hit me every one of the skexes and like mystics and characters were built from conception to finish by a singular artist. So the each individual Skeksis was designed by someone. They had like the core, you know, concepts and stuff worked up. But they that singular person built it, did the clothing, did the the casting. But for they were it. all done by different people. people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The way you said it made rare. it sound like they were all done by the same person. No. 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 Each singular one was, was done, done by, by a, a different person. person. Okay. Yeah. And that's not common at all. Like normally, it's like okay, cool. This is the latex guy. Oops. So sorry. Normally, it's like this is the latex guy. This is the costuming person, and there each person gave their creature their costume. I think it really shows in the film too. Like yeah. they get they it gives each one of the Skeksis so much individuality. Like uh I agree a hundred percent. I yeah. I didn't know that. It's awesome. But right? like, yeah, you can because there's ten Skeksis, or then the Emperor dies and there's nine. But like you can when they're all in the room together, which is for most of the time we see them, yeah. you can identify each one of them individually easily. Which I think is a really excellent aspect. And I think the best way to do that is by having each one designed by a different person because it guarantees individuality. Oh, yeah. I love it, too, because, like, we're, uh, when it comes to, like, our our understanding of dinosaurs right now, you know, we've gone from, like, the old, like, big lizards to more, like, feathery creatures, and... They're, they're just birds. Yeah, exactly, and, like, how the Skeksis... Uh, Perfectly ride that line between bird and lizard. Right, they're, yeah. they're, like, these, like, weird bird dinosaur people, and it's awesome. Like, I, I love... Uh, I they were saying in the, the making of, they are going for, like, bird dragon like creatures Honestly, i think they, they look like old wizards you know, i i like think they capture that perfectly or, vultures yeah. is what i always yeah. thought as a kid oh, yeah. and and i think that even today over you know 30 years since 35 years since the movies come out or no longer than that like 37 i think that they still have some of the best the skexies are some of the best creature design Ever. in in film yeah Period. I'm with you. I'm with you 100% on that. Like, they're they're high high up up there. And, uh, yeah, and I, I think that how much the, the Skeksis, like, fascinated and freaked me out simultaneously as a child is part of the reason why I developed such uh, a fascination with, like, monsters and scary stuff and, like, 
actively sought out things that scared me, even though I would have trouble sleeping and it would give my parents a headache because I <laughs> wouldn't want to sleep alone and like was terrified of the dark and, you know, ultimately led led me to the point where we are now doing this podcast every week for almost two years. You know, I think I can credit the Dark Crystal for a lot of that, I think, because it was really one of my my earliest introductions to like scary things in general monsters and the skexies are are horrifying still well yeah and the movie does a great job of letting you know what you're in for for early on right you know one of the first scenes we get is the skexies you know disintegrating into dust oh the the emperor dying is yeah oh man that's one of the that's one of the scariest uh creature designs in in the movie i think is the dying skexies yeah Cause like they're the Skeksis are already all like wizened and and shriveled and horrible and twisted and then this is like a, a, an ill elderly dying one so it's like they just ramp that up tenfold. It's it's awesome the way he crumbles when he dies like blew my mind like not used like used to blow my mind like still does I was it's an I incredible was really t- effect yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it works it so awesome. well uh, oh my god oh uh, one character we haven't mentioned yet is Agra. Who is awesome? I love I love her to bits. I think she's great. Yeah, uh, the way she squats when she's sitting down, like, <laughs> is so relatable. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, Agra's Agra's hilarious, and how she just screams all of her lines. Yes, yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Yeah, her her facility too is just so oh so dope with the the giant the, planetarium. Yeah, the b- thing. big with like the blades spinning on it. Like, yeah. uh, constellation machine. Yeah, that shit is dope. And like, man, I wonder how how much fun, but also how difficult that machine was to build because they built it obviously life size. Because we do like it's not a miniature by any means. Yeah, because we set. we do see the uh, like the Gelfling like climbing on it. And it's, that's one of those shots where it is like a child in a costume. Like that's a full fucking room sized machine, and then all the arms are moving independently and spinning around each other and not hitting anything. Like that's one of the the most jaw dropping aspects of this film. That just about all of the sets that you see. Uh, in this movie, like the the walk in sets are are not puppet sized; they're larger than life. Well, a lot of the a lot of the puppets just straight up had people, people in, in them, them. yeah, or then being also operated by multiple people on top of that. Right, like the Gartham for sure have people in them. The Skeksis, you said, have like two people in them, right, or two or three people operating them. No, they, it's one person inside of it, and then they have a. Uh, and Different then, people operating like four or five the arms. People on the outside. Yeah, that would like, make sense. There's yeah. a lot. Yeah. No. It's the. It's the. Was it the Gartham? Is that what they're called? The, yeah. the big beetle the big soldiers. Beetle yeah, it's, yeah. It's those. They had. Um. They actually built like TV monitor units inside of them so that the person operating them could see how they looked while they were doing it. Which again, oh, eighty two. Sick. Like yeah. eighty two, and they had these like little like TVs inside so they could see it. Like uh, you see in the the making of, you see Jim Henson inside one of them. Uh, which I, of course, I think is is fucking rad. You know, like it's it's good to see like footage of someone who's so like lauded and loved and praised, like being on set, like doing the dirty work and being in in those things for like him, hours him on and end. him and Frank Oz. If you look at uh, which we should mention that uh, the film is co-directed by 
Henson and Oz together. Yes. yes. Um, it's not just Jim Henson's film. Uh, it was his studio. But uh, if you, like, in the credits, like, a good number of the the characters are operated directly by Jim Henson and or Frank Oz. Which yeah. is is dope. Everybody knows that about Jim Henson, you know, mm. but it is it is still it's heartwarming to see that the people with the vision are on the ground floor. are on the ground floor and so close to it that they're operating the the puppets as well and not just standing behind the camera yeah, directing. Absolutely. Well, and going off of the insane uh, set design and whatnot, we also have some awesome matte paintings in this. Oh movie. my god, yes. some of my favorite, incredible. Really elaborate stuff, um, super detailed, and they even do like early compositing with them. So fun fact: the way that they did that is they used they painted them on glass. They used glass uh, sections to to run those effects. Like so, when you see like the lightning like rippling through and whatnot, like that's how they were able to to that's have that awesome. worked up. Is yeah, they had them done on glass. Sick. Um, and you oh, get yeah. that that like massive scale and you have the just incredible like use of like atmospheric perspective yeah it's no awesome. those, so good. those were incredible i will say there were a couple of early video effects that did not age well yeah but they were very few and far between like there were a couple blue screen effects yes. in particular that just stood out because everything else was so because all of the good. practical stuff looks yeah. so amazing yeah. and realistic. Yeah, I agree. There are especially like like falling characters and stuff. Yeah, falling yeah. characters they look kind of, they look and like at the at the very end, like after they heal the crystal and the the Skeksis and the Mystics fuse and become like the weird god beings. That it's very obviously like a blue screen with like Jen holding Kira and like walking oh, around yeah. and it looks yeah. like shit. I agree that stuff really stands out. Which but it's because those god beings are such a cool design. Well, oh right, which is why yeah. there's only a That's couple awesome. of the there's only a couple of shots of them all in in the frame together because they they <laughs> keep that separate. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really just a. A credit to how strong the the practical effects are as well. That like the early digital or rather video effects stand out as much as they do because it 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 takes you out of of the otherwise very lifelike and realistic world that they've presented so far. That it does. Yeah, all of the other details of the stuff you know between I I keep thinking back to that giant almost like mound venus flytrap where it eats a character earlier on Do you oh that? Yeah. yeah in the where swamp like, yeah. where it eats like the little, the it's little scampering like a, it's critter. almost like an undersea clam yeah like yeah like the, like the vegetative equivalent i found that super impressive there were Agreed. so many different tiny things that didn't have a ton of screen time especially yeah especially in that swamp where we see a lot of the the wildlife that's in this environment and it's yeah it's stuff that you see for just a split second that were like fully designed and realized puppets that had people operating them it's like so much work and attention to detail it's for there, just and then it's gone. for just such little things that are minor by themselves but all together they help contribute to why why it feels like a believable world it all just goes to help that world building and takes away from the fact that you're you know watching a film it makes you feel it, you know feel more believable it gets you uh 
more immersed in the world, which I really appreciate for, you know, especially a movie for kids. Like, kids, for the most part, don't have the capacity to appreciate that kind of thing and have such a short attention span, you know? I certainly never appreciated that stuff as a kid. Not to the same degree, maybe subconsciously. Unless you appreciate it with your wonderment. Yeah, and I think that's why it works so well, is because it's so convincing that as a kid you can just fall into it without thinking much about the, the framing. details it's much, it's the yeah. same it's the same thing with like uh why pixar movies are so great too even as an adult is because as an adult you can really really appreciate the insane amount of work that goes into those animations whereas as a kid you don't know how hard it is to do those kinds of things you just appreciate it for what it is Lazy animation stands out so much more, too, when it's not done well. Been on that side of the fence, too, you know, uh, with my own work. Sure. <laughs> it's always like, oh, man, you know. I mean, I think of stuff standard. like I think of stuff like the old Scooby-Doo cartoons and, like, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Like, it has its, it has its charm, but, like, it just doesn't have the same kind of bravado. It's true. I, w- I will say that, like, the, the original Scooby-Doo series had, had some cool had some cool animations in it like i was i was going back and watching some old sequences recently and like it has it has a lot of shoddy moments it's a tv series and you know like right like but like there are there are some cool parts like there there are some neat some neat things that they do but anyway enough about that i oh. thought the score was really good oh the, yeah the music Fabulous. is really solid yeah yeah i agree man that all came fucking rushing back to me during the movie as mm-hmm. soon as that main theme hits i'm like like it all just comes back I was really surprised how many of the lines I still remembered directly from <laughs> how many times I watched it as a kid but haven't thought of it in years. I'm like, I know the next line. It's so good. It's true. Yeah, so ooey-gooey, like just sitting down in that movie and just getting immersed in that world is just very, very gratifying. Another cool aspect with immersion. Uh, so I've mentioned his name once or twice already, but Brian Froud was the artist who did a lot of the conceptual work for this film and uh, as well as the just the the visual like built the the visual aesthetic um and he's uh fully responsible for any of the like the sacred geometry pattern patterning and stuff that you see he's done a Which number is of dope and honestly it's, it's forgotten, out of this world i've forgotten how much of that stuff there was in in this movie but like all of that sort of uh occultish kind of uh imagery is just so good oh i mean when it comes world, to like from a world building standpoint like, top illustrators it's like Alan Lee, John Howe, like Brian Froud, like those guys, like all from the same era. I'll take your like, word for it. it out of the park. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alan Lee did a lot of like the, uh, and John Howe both did a lot of the illustrations for the original illustrations for Lord of the Rings and stuff that you saw. Oh, okay, but, cool. Um, yeah, Brian Brian Froud's work was just was just is just stunning. He has a number. If you enjoyed that stuff, I'd recommend looking up some of his uh, other books that he's done as well. He's done a number of illust- illustrative uh, stories about like fairies and fairy folk and fae. They're all masterfully illustrated. He's he's so good, but I just love it. Like his organic ornamentation with a very strong like sacred geometry influence, and that's well before like sacred geometry like really had like was was that established as a design aesthetic. I'd be willing to bet he, was, he kind of grandfathered that that style in general. And it's just it's so cool. It's so cool like seeing all those astral bodies and planetary patterns and movements and Man, and from a from a designs. from a d- design perspective too, like all of the stuff in like the the Skeksis castle, uh, like the the crystal room where there's just like that big 
uh, sacred geometry mosaic on the floor where all the Skeksis have their their place to stand when they uh, absorb like the life giving energy from the dark crystal. And it's like complete with that like the, like, the beam zodiac like oh yeah symbols etched into the floor and very cool. And it also like it helps each of the Skeksis sort of feel more individual too. Like they have their own representations in the Zodiac and stuff with all of their different costumes. And I like to, I never noticed or paid attention to this as a kid, but all of the Skeksis are only named by their title or position in mm-hmm. the castle. Like the, the general, the Chamberlain, the high priest, the scientist, other than the general and the Chamberlain, None of the others are ever addressed by their names or titles, but based on their costumes, you can still pick them out from a lineup. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. I did it to see if I could. But like you can tell which one the high priest is, and you can tell which one the scientist is. And I think that shit's dope. And the fucking throne room. Oh, God. The fucking the Skeksis throne is one of the most metal things I've ever it's seen so in my life. Metal. It's yeah. so fucking cool. Like just like photo it and like you have you have your album cover. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's seriously, so yeah, brutal. like you absolutely like, do. I love it. And uh, all so, sharp points and metal and very cool fact about the summoning room uh, chamber. It's it's you know it's it's a fully um, like it, it's floor to ceiling you know built. Because uh, we get a lot of cool shots of like it, you know, like with the the whole from the, the and they have the, the, the and, and the balconies around around, around it, it well. where Multi-floored. the Gar- the Gartham are like positioned on the balcony, like looking down on the mm-hmm. on the room. Well, cool thing about that at the end when the castle crumbles, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to crumbling, <laughs> crumbling, crumbling castle. Uh, when when it crumbles. It actually crumbles. They detonated it. They they filled it with explosives and blew it up. I believe it. Like it's so, awesome. so to get right. like the falling rocks and stuff and to see the set fall apart, it's because it looks... they actually like blew their set apart. Yeah. They did that in one. They had like multiple high speed cameras set up. It's oh so yeah, I'm cool. Sure. You only have one. Yeah. Unless, unless you're Andre Tarkovsky, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> uh, I always think of that scene in uh, Tropic Thunder where they're doing the oh, and they super the elaborate jungle explosion, explosion scene. Yeah. Well, you know what the? Uh, I guess I will. I'll just tell the story now as an anecdote. In in the sacrifice when they burn the house down at the end when they were filming it the the film got caught in in the shutter yeah. and uh Sven Nyquist kind of like went to head in hands to to Tarkovsky and was like we we missed the shot like the the camera fucked up halfway through and like after Tarkovsky raged for a while they just rebuilt the entire house and did it again damn and boy does it pay off because yes. that is such a spectacular shot there at the end. But I can gush about Tarkovsky for hours in many, many regards. Another neat aspect is the the design department was so, um, or Jim Henson was was so uh, captivated by Froud's illustrations that uh, the the cinematographer I, I cannot remember his name unfortunately is a British cinematographer he was the guy who did the majority of the camera work for the film brought in this they designed this uh contraption to place on the front of the camera and it had a it has a cool name i don't remember what it is but that actually like kind of presents like a sort of a filtered gel effect over over the film that makes the backdrops and sets it sort of reduces contrast a little bit and makes things 
feel more like watercolor. So they they built this kind of like cool contraption on the front of the camera to to make those scenes look more like they're illustrated as well. Which cool. I think is super neat. Yeah, yeah. There there are just so many cool stories, you know, behind just the making of this movie and. Uh, it really, it really just has me so hyped for the the Netflix version, like front to back. I have like one or two other quick things I, okay. I want to touch on. Oh yeah, there's still um, one of my my favorite characters in the film, which I think is worth mentioning, is Fizzgig. <gasps> oh, how do we forget <laughs> Fizzgig until now? We should have started with Fizzgig. I I love Fizzgig. He's great. He's like Kira's. Uh, he's not a dog. But he's not a cat either. Um, he's just a weird little beast. He's a mouth. Uh, he is basically a, a fluff ball with a with an enormous mouth full of two rows of teeth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's fucking adorable and also uh, kind of scary. He scared me a little bit as a kid, but I also loved him. Uh, because he's just so charming and adorable. And my favorite part of the movie is uh when they decide they're going to go to the castle and they get on those uh those big land strider monsters which are fucking oh, rad fucking in their own the design. Land striders either, yeah. And uh yeah. Kira's just like all right Fizzgig, you stay here and he just screams until she lets him come along. <laughs> I love that part. That's yeah. my favorite part of the movie. It always tugs on my heartstrings a little bit when he gets thrown down the the shaft. Thankfully, he he latches on to to something. Dude, and I was legitimately die, in a but... panic during that. I was like, "Oh my god, I do not remember if this like wonderful creature lives or dies here." Yeah, and which I'm like, thank God, thank God, Fizzgig survives. Yeah, no, Fizzgig underrated. What a, so, what a wonderful design. Yeah, I, I just I wanted to mention Fizzgig because he's Pour awesome. One out for Fizzgig, yeah. And also, great name, Fizzgig. Come on, uh, yeah, um, instant classic. And the other thing I want to touch on a little bit, because we are a horror podcast, is I think it definitely bears mentioning some of the thematically darker stuff in this movie. Still dark. That I didn't realize how dark it was until I watched it this time. For, like, a children's movie, like, as a kid, you just don't think of those kinds of things. Dude, I was so ready to go into this film, like, okay, yeah, this is really scary when I was a kid, but, like... How how is it as an adult? And I, think I was it, totally expecting to be like, oh, not nowhere near. And it was like, no, actually, there are a lot of worse, concepts in this film uh, in a that lot are of way ways. darker. Yeah, like, like yeah, things that I think definitely make this film, if not just straight up children's horror, very much horror adjacent. And why I think it we're talking about it on the show, just like what they what the Skeksis fucking do to like the Podlings and the Gelflings yeah, is like just a... is straight up like mad science horror shit puppet ludovico technique right <laughs> you know like they steal their s- souls strap them into a chair and force them to stare into the dark crystal until it literally causes their life essence to leak out of their bodies in like a liquid form and then the skexies drink it to try to regain their youth blood would have been less scary yeah, like, it's, yeah, and and it leaves the podlings all, like, gray and wizened and just, like, with milky, dead eyes. Yeah, and they become and... lifeless slaves. They zombify them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, I didn't think about of that as at all as a kid, except that it scared me a little bit. But, like, as an adult, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. 
And as we mentioned earlier, the fact that the Skeksis straight up committed Gelfling genocide yep. because of their fear of the prophecy that they just outright murdered the entire species except for Jen and Kira. This is a kid's movie. Yeah, damn, mm-hmm. dude. Like, damn. I guess it wouldn't be a kid's movie without genocide, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Note to self. Uh, we're gonna have a kid's movie. Uh, yeah. And the Gartham are very scary design, I think, too. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, their their claws have claws on them. Yeah. It's crazy. Just big beetle monsters with their legs look like tentacles like they look like beetle jellyfish they fuck up the land striders too like, oh yeah they Jesus do yeah. like that that sh- <laughs> that shit is also something we didn't talk about but just how kind of terrible jen and kira are and jen just completely inept oh but, yeah yeah like, for, for being the protagonist God, but all like, of us were like uh, we're like mocking jen like, they like loudly. they like befriend <laughs> these these friendly beasts to carry them to to the castle and then just uh, with no hesitation just use them as a distraction to free the podlings and get into the castle while the gartham just murder them like like one of the the, the gartham like takes up takes the landstrider like off the side of the cliff and you just see them fall to their deaths <laughs> yeah and, and you brutal. and you hear it screaming too yeah, like yeah. it's this is a kids movie like, on, <laughs> man. like i'm scared by that like don't don't kill the landstriders these like wonderful hippie beasts yeah exactly and i mean we've talked to death about just like what the Skeksis look like, but they are, they're truly monstrous. Like mm. they are the stuff of nightmares and the, the dinner scene where they're all like eating and it's, it's really gross. Yeah. And yeah, they're all, that's an, that's a, then that's a positive use of the uncanny Valley. If there yes. ever was like, they're, they're acting like people and it's spooky for, a, and it, it, and it absolutely is intentional. Like seeing these bird, these fucked up bird dragon humans, yeah. like, eating food like with their hands and stuff a lot of them have like uh like toothpicks uh, attached to their fingers and stuff like little like fork extensions and stuff like that the food they're eating is live often yeah it's live and like there's the the fat one that's just like shoveling seaweed into his mouth and it's it's really nasty like it's it's gross man and I think just, like, all of that stuff together makes for a, an extremely dark film for a kid's movie. And I know there's definitely some of that in Labyrinth, but I think The Dark Crystal is is a, is a darker film than, than Labyrinth in a lot of ways. It's been so long since I've seen Labyrinth that I can't really say. It hasn't for me. I've seen it fairly recently, and I've I, that that movie is more my equivalent of The Dark Crystal for you, Tease. I I watched that movie. Yeah, I've, I've seen, seen that, The I've Labyrinth seen far movies. fewer times than um, The Dark Crystal. Yeah, it's the opposite for me, and... I, I think I think Dark Crystal is is like more ambiently terrifying. Like there's there's some stuff with like the oubliette, like the hands on the walls, and like there's yeah, there's some pretty spooky yeah. fucking moments in the labyrinth. But this movie is like more directly visceral, like with the with the lifeblood, the life essence draining, and like killing the land striders by throwing them off the side, and the machinations of the Skeksis, like all, all that shit. Like is I think a little bit more like directly spooky, whereas there is. 
there's definitely some spooky. There are some phenomenal sequences in in Labyrinth, and did, did if Lab- I had to choose, I'd probably pick a Labyrinth as favorite film. But did Labyrinth come out before or after? Oh, the well, Dark after. Crystal, well after. Well after. Okay, uh, I wasn't sure what year that was. We'd have to look it up. But yeah, I like, think it was a couple years after. Because they spent they spent fi- I think five years on Dark Crystal. Jesus Christ, I believe so, that though. Uh, uh, yeah, eighty six. So okay, so four years after yeah. Dark Crystal, um, and then uh, also uh, let's look at okay, the Labyrinth budget. It says was twenty five mil. Is that that budget? doesn't sound right for eighty six. That's impressive. Yeah, Jesus Christ for nineteen eighty six. That would be like the budget equivalent of like an Avengers movie now. Yeah, and then Dark Crystal was fifteen. So is that adjusted for inflation? I don't know, man. I'm just on Google. It just straight up says Jesus. 25 mil. The box office uh, fucked US up. It's true, man. 12.9 mil too. So it's like, Jesus, that's a ton of money. That's that's some real cash. Some I had no squirrel. idea. Like I I knew I knew they were expensive films, but I never would have guessed that high. Fuck me. Krull had a 50 million dollar budget. What? Uh, Fuck a, a twenty-five million right. budget in nineteen eighty-six would have been fifty-eight million today. Yeah. Okay, so a little bit less than I was thinking, but still, still. that's that's a pretty expensive film for a puppet for a puppet movie. movie. No. Yeah, exactly. God, uh, I can't believe Krull was fifty million dollars. That might actually be the next movie on my list because I've never seen it. Oh and God. Bomb. Okay, well, I mean, that's pretty much everything I wanted to touch on, you know? It's mostly just gushing about how amazing the design and technical work of of the film is. I guess I'll start with the rating and we can work our way down. Sure. Um, I agree with you with the points you brought up at the beginning about the very simplistic, uh, kind of flat, boring narrative. I think that... The protagonists are the least interesting characters of Jen the film. Is so worthless. Uh, he's, com- he's completely useless. Oh. He does. He does literally nothing the entire movie. Uh, Kira does way, way, way more, and it, he still has to quote unquote save her I at the know, end. I know. I uh, know. So which just is let her be the hero, right? Which is uh, we don't need to get into that. I think no. that speaks for itself. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. enough. Um, I don't but. Think uh, I know it. I think that beyond those criticisms, uh, on every other level, this film is is a technical masterpiece, and I would also say a masterpiece of world building, um, which is surprising considering how kind of generic and uninteresting the actual narrative is, the fact that the world building is so spectacular, usually you wouldn't expect that, but... Yeah, I I still nostalgia or not, I still think this is a uh, an incredible film all around. I I you know will dock it a little bit for for that simplistic sort of lackluster narrative, but it's going to be a very strong four out of five for me. I'm going to go ahead and say I don't I don't actually know if it's the right answer, um, but it's it's my answer, and that's it's a. It's going to be a 4.5. I know that the the main characters of the film are kind of uncanny valley, are quite uncanny valley, and, and Jen is worthless, but everything else about the film just carries it so, so far for me. It really is a, a, a masterwork and, and such a, such a just a phenomenal spectacle. I deeply adore this film, and yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 4.5, but I can dig, I can dig a 4. 4 makes sense, but no, I'm going 4.5. I, I think, think that's still fair. Mm-hmm. 
This is a really hard movie to rate. I didn't have the the baggage of growing up with it. The rose technical without the rose. Yeah, yeah. You know, in terms of technical craftsmanship, it nears a five. Problem is, you know, like the comparison we made with the visual effects to the rest of the effects, you can kind of make a comparison between the craftsmanship of all of the art with the craftsmanship of the story. Sure. And because that's so flat and so underdeveloped, it stands out so much more because the art is so good. And it's a real bummer, man, because I love the art and the story and all of the emotional weight just felt so flat that I couldn't get immersed and invested in it in the same way I feel like it deserved. I feel like if I saw it as a kid, I would have appreciated it more, probably. This whole podcast, I've been bouncing between three and three and a half. I'm going to I'm gonna say it's going to be a three with a big asterisk next to it, saying that the art is a five. A five. Yeah. yeah, the art is a five. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think that's a completely fair perspective. Yeah. And like... Nostalgia goggles are for sure a thing, and I will always be the first person on this podcast to acknowledge that and use that as a disclaimer for anything that I saw and loved as a kid. Like that's, that's, it's inescapable. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me too, it's like the, it's like the, the design bias also is like so strong, like having to do like that kind of art every day. like the, the amount of respect for that kind of craftsmanship. Like I've got rose tinted glasses, like steampunk goggles with all the lenses on them. So like, (laughs) but like as, as a writer and as somebody who is actively writing for a high fantasy world, yeah. like I will be the first to admit that this one not so good, <laughs> not so good in terms of writing, and a yeah. lot of the dialogue's pretty corny too. But but it's a kids movie, so I can put a lot of that aside. Yeah. But that'll give the Dark Crystal a pretty strong three point eight out of five pods average between the three of us. About where I expected it to be, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. it deserves um, that. And I'm okay with that overall. Definitely would still recommend. And God, I, highly, yeah. if I ever have kids, I will definitely be showing them this film. And <laughs> at that point, they'll probably be like, Dad, what's this old shit? Like, why are you showing me nah, this? Just do what my dad shit. did and just, like, cut me off from the rest of it at that early age uh, I don't can. Give them the, the old <laughs> shit then and then gear them up for the new shit. Like, it's fine. Like, like it'll be all right. Then, you, then they'll yeah. have that, that respect for, like, the old stuff. Like, um, that's fine. I, I do think we, we've said a few things about it already. But I think we should mention briefly the the Netflix series that comes out later this year. The teaser looks pretty rad. Pretty rad. Yeah. rad. Biggest plus for it for me is that the Gelflings actually look all right. Like, they look they look a little better for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's obviously they're showcasing a few special effects that they could not have gotten away with in '82 uh-huh. that I'm pretty fucking stoked about. Yeah, I'm a very. Um, I think particularly of that one shot 
where there's like some big rolling vehicle, but it looks like yeah. it's it has the same kind of armor as the Gartham. Yeah. It looked like a Gartham tank. Which, fuck which yes. uh, bring it to me. Uh, if true, big mood. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm pretty stoked about that. And what I the impression that I got from the trailer as well is that it is for it seems to be for people our age and older who grew up if they're with, doing a prequel that's about the 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 uh it, it seems genocide, it seems then... to be it <laughs> seems luck. to be a lot more action heavy and less childlike right let's actually let's let me talk about that real quick because um i i did have some thoughts about it, especially after watching it because we were talking about it in the car in the car like on the way to watch the uh watch this and like yeah, there there are a couple of sequences in the the trailer for this upcoming one where you see like like someone like leaping across something and like there's like some heavy combat like a little like over like choreography going on and watching the Dark Crystal, I can see the attempts at that. Like yeah. some of the sequences with the, with the the Skeksis or the sorry the um the Gartham fighting and like uh Jen like leaping across stuff. I think I think that they're, they're and the going sort to of, do things the in this sort that of test of, would have done. The test of strength between the general and the chamberlain to become the new emperor. Yeah. With Here, the sword. Here's one question about it that I have for you guys because I've been trying to figure out what I think about this is you know, we live in a different era than the time when that movie came out. For where sure. Yeah. A lot of things that they were trying to portray are hard to portray with puppets and whatnot. And so there's a sense of wonder to see some of that pulled off. Here's what I'll say. The the storyline is more relevant to, like, the current zeitgeist than it's ever been. Uh, it's, like, it's, a dying world. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, less talking about the zeitgeist and the, the story elements. I'm talking about, like, in 2019... Will the spectacle in, still in, be in there because we're more... When we know they can do essentially to, uh, anything... With that stuff, with I, much less limitations, will that there be that same sense of wonder? I think that, in oh shit, how did they pull this off? I think I think it's going to depend very heavily on the ratio of practical and legitimate puppetry to uh, CG, um, because I it does seem like there is some CG which is natural, but I think that in two thousand nineteen when in at least particularly large budget films practical effects are kind of on the decline because yeah. it's easier to do it CG. digitally i think that it'll be impressive from a technical standpoint because of doing these difficult things practically yeah like many of the things that made dark crystal difficult to shoot are still difficult to shoot and that is what has me excited about it is seeing like the behind the scenes stuff that they've been putting out like with them like building the puppets building these same you know these these creatures and these these large sets that those are all still human feats. that being said that will always be that being said i do think this show is going to be aimed at a very niche audience and it's people who grew up with the yes. with the original yes and i think that'll help and i think i think that um, i think that for people who have no exposure to the dark crystal 
or who are maybe a little bit younger than us who didn't like grow up watching it. Cause I think we're probably like right on the, like right on the cusp of growing up with dark crystal because the movie was already 10 years old when, when we were kids, you know, when we were born, I think that for people who don't have any exposure, this show is going to hold very little interest, but we'll see. Yeah. Because like, I think, uh, I think it's enough of a cult classic and that it, it has enough people like us and older who grew up with it, who love it and who have an appreciation for it, that I think amongst fans of the film, I feel like it's going to be very popular. Yeah, yeah and as I think as... of stuff like uh, the the map paintings, where like it could easily be done digitally now and people wouldn't bat an eye right. and think twice about it. I hope they you still know, use map paintings. I think I the map paintings are always still Enhancing... Better you know, the puppetry with CGI that you don't even notice, you know? And it's like, yes, that's going to help overall, and it's going to make it even more immersive. I hope they keep the CGI to a minimum. I hope we don't lose anything from that. Based based on the trailer, and, you know, it's a teaser trailer, so it was a lot of quick cutting, but based on the trailer, I don't think that's going to be the case. It seems like it's still going to be vast majority puppetry with touches of CG here and there to accentuate and to to add flourish, which I'm okay with. Oh, quite, yeah. Uh, I think um, at the end of the day, what this series it looks like they're they're trying to go with is that analog, you know, that that sense of tangibility is is still the most you know one of the most effective ways to like to reach out and you know like to pardon the overused metaphor like reach out and touch your audience to to actually give someone like a a grip you know on a film to 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 let them see these things to put actual tangible objects you know in in your shots and it makes it, all the difference in the world it and, seems it seems to like the people who are working on the show uh are very committed to staying true to Jim Henson's vision. Yeah. And he's been dead for a long time. Like, yeah, it's obviously still made by his studio, but it also seems like the people who are making it are... Well, is Brian if, if anyone's, Henson working on right, it Right, like, all? I was about to say, like, if anyone has, like, a legacy that's been well-maintained, it's Jim Henson's, like, on with Brian Henson Yeah, do well. you know if he's working on this um, at all? I, I have no clue. I wouldn't be surprised. I would hope so. I would hope so, too. It seems to be the, the, big, the biggest thing that that the Henson studio has been working on for the last few years. So I would, I would expect, uh, that he is involved in some capacity. I would hope, uh, Frank Oz is consulting on it as well. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, so I found an article, uh, quoting him saying, um, it's been shooting since last November. It's so cool that Netflix could get behind it in such a big way that we can do it all caps right. And that's coming from Brian Henson. So cool. I still don't know specifically what his, involvement is with it directly but that's yeah i'm looking at the credits on imdb and i'm having i'm not seeing him in anything oh shit too yeah uh the 10 episode series will feature uh puppet creatures created by brian froud who was the original conceptual designer of the original film cool hell yeah well time will tell it's coming out pretty soon airs august 30th so in just a couple of months i'm pretty excited actually i would before i was curious but now I'm excited. I want only good things for for this show, and I want it to be successful. Netflix has a a very hit or miss record, but I I feel like I can trust the Henson Studio. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, this quote from Brian Henson just goes on in that respect. Like, I thought by the 80s, the idea of being able to walk into a stage and seeing an incredible fantasy world realized was just long gone uh, because of CG and everything like that. But they've really, again, all caps, done it right. It is all caps great. The workmanship is just stunning. The artistic quality is right there again. Uh, what I thought was maybe lost, uh, it's still there. They'll be shooting for another few weeks, and there will be a huge amount of post-production. So, yeah, it's looking promising. Hell yeah. Again, well, coming from Brian Henson, who I feel uh, carried on his father's work so incredibly well. I mean, still, I think my favorite of like the Muppet-related films, or just any of like, Jim Henson's puppetry-related films, is probably Muppet Treasure Island. Honestly, like I might, I might even put it over Labyrinth. Yeah, I love Crystal. Muppet like, Treasure tre- Island. Treasure Island still might be one of. Honestly, one of the best. I really like uh, Muppets in Space. Uh, that's you know, kind of a wild you know, it's, card. It's, take, a, it's a hot but take, but I, it's what I'm, I'm with you on. Um, I, I don't think it's the same level of quality. Nowhere as, near like, Treasure Island. No, but, but no, I don't hate it. Like, it's I, quality. I don't hate Muppets in Space either. Yeah, um, but uh, but I think yeah, Treasure Island is is just such a such an incredible masterpiece. I'll definitely be watching that one again soon. And I did too. Like. One of the one of the beautiful things about these any of like the Henson like puppet films is that they're one of the few examples of movies that you can go back to having only previously watched as a child and still be impressed and still be given that childlike sense of wonder. Uh, so many movies cannot hold up to your own child imagination, but these these are the exception to that. Like you can still come back to them and and be moved by them. Oh yeah, because even then, it's the the wonderment of how did they do that? Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. No, I I still appreciate the Dark Crystal a lot for very different reasons than when I was a child. But uh, my my respect for the film is not diminished at all. Maybe a little bit for the for the writing, but you know. <laughs> um, well, with that, before we wrap up, I think it's time for a word from our sponsors. Yep, it sure is. Right. So uh, today's episode, I uh, got the copy here in front of me, uh, was brought to you by hands in your body. Uh, you want you want to you, you tired of tired of doing things yourself? Tired of uh, having to fulfill the prophecy all on your own? Sure am. Yeah, well, it's cool. We got we got hands. We'll we'll put them in there and we'll do it for you. Hands in my body? Yours. It's more likely than you think. It is. And for $8.99 a month, it can be brought to you for $12.99 a month. <laughs> Hands in your body. We'll shove it up your ass. But but not in a, in a sex way. That's not what it's about. <laughs> That's not what it's about at all. It's it's about it's about the art. <laughs> it's about the art of it. Hands <laughs> in your body. Well, thanks again to Hands in Your Body, our fabulous sponsor for this week. Uh, next week, I think for real, Rock and Roll Nightmare this time. Yes, the the legend of the Rock and Roll Nightmare is indeed real. Nope. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Nope. Sorry, we we lied to you again. Uh, we had another conflict with our special guest, so nope. We're not doing Rock and Roll Nightmare next week. Uh, it's Ben's pick instead. So we're going to do Pawnee Pool. Um, so, yeah, Pawnee Pool. Rock and Roll Nightmare, maybe sometime. We'll see, I guess. I said last time it was for real, and this time I'll say that 
much more hesitantly. Yeah. But... It's 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 a rock and roll night may or may not. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so hopefully, yes, rock and roll nightmare with a special guest next week. Uh, uh-uh, definitely not. Rock and roll nightmare, definitely not. Pony pool. Rock and roll night, maybe. If not, you'll be just as surprised as we are. Yeah. <laughs> What's it gonna be? Pony pool. Uh, Who if, knows? If you like the show, if you like being surprised, please take a few seconds out of your day to uh, leave us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts yeah. or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, we're trying to work our way up in the numbers. We have noticed a bit of an uptake in our listenership uh, over the last couple of months, which is a pleasant surprise to all of us. Yeah, um, thank you. So thank you. you. We want to extend a, a heartfelt thank you to all of the people who do listen to our show. And um, we appreciate you. And if you appreciate us, the the ratings and reviews is is a nice way to, uh, to say that. And uh, we love you. You can also follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod or on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod for a list of all of the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and the links to those reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome. I'm at Mr. Sheets. I tweet for uh, at uh, LightArc Studio. Um for It Stares Back. And a Which will be on Steam by the time this is yeah. released. Uh, fingers crossed. I think uh, so. Yeah, fun fun anecdote on that. Um, uh, they they have, we have had to resubmit once or twice because they wanted a little bit more out of our game description. But anyway, just interesting students doing quality control. I was impressed by it. But uh, anyway, yeah, so hopefully, yeah, we should be, we should be up. By, go, go on Steam if you have Steam and look for It Stares Back. And if you don't see it, then it will be up soon and we'll have a more definitive answer on that next time if it's there check it out we think you'll like it we hope oh yeah for sure <laughs> for sure for sure you can also find my work on art station as well uh, cleveland mosher yeah hit me up hit me up with, uh, on the light art twitter tell me uh tell me what you're thinking how's your day what's been going on what'd you have for lunch yeah and and who'd you tell me your secrets <laughs> all of them we won't hold them against you literally or figuratively yeah for real though don't tell me your secrets i don't i don't need that i don't need that mm-hmm. responsibility tell me your secrets there you go tease will take them i'll take all of your secrets <laughs> i'll hoard them away like a dragon like a dragon of secrets and until next time I gotta go. Hmm. I'm gonna go make the crystal whole, if you know what I mean. Hmm.